Psalm 145 this morning. Um, this morning I'm going to take a half step back to two weeks ago where we talked about God's mission through the image of God and how human beings were, were given uh, this status where we were, we were to image out um, God's goodness and share his reign over creation. And what I want to do this morning is to think along those lines here um, uh, as far as as far as it goes for um, uh, this uh, this passage here, because I think it tells us a couple things. There's something that um, kind of is an enigma about being made in the image of God, because we obviously don't have um, what's going on in this world the same as it was in Genesis chapter one. And so that might kind of lead us with a, with a question. Well, what do you do? What happens when you understand God's instructions to us to, um, as being made in his image, to image out his likeness and his goodness and have dominion over creation, but yet you live in a fallen world that's received the curse? What do you do here? And so this morning, what I'd like to have us look at um, here is to think about what the Word of God says in Psalm 145 to help us answer that question. Um, Psalm 145 is a a psalm that talks about God being the King of creation. And the reason I'm bringing that up to you is to remind you that if God's the King of creation and we're we're to reign with God, under God, over His creation, that's the idea of having dominion, and this creation is cursed and under the effects of sin. Can we still do that today? And I think the answer is here in Psalm 145. Because in Psalm 145, the psalmist is worshiping God as a king of all creation. And if God is a king of all creation, and this psalm shows how he reigns over all creation that's even been cursed, then that'll give real insights into how we reflect God's goodness and image Him in the world that He's made. It'll help answer this question here of what does it mean to be an image bearer and have dominion uh, uh, over, over His, uh, and share His reign in this world like Genesis told us, um, Genesis 1 told us before sin. So what we want to do in this psalm here is to see how God reigns over creation and then how we are then to be priests who present him, who represent him uh, in this creation as the king. And that'll help us understand what it means to be made in God's image and what that's going to look like in even uh, a a fallen world. You might wonder, well, why is this important? I think I maybe have some idea of this. And the reason I'm spending time on this this morning is this, because this frames purpose for our existence. It gives us purpose in a world that wanders in circles, trying to find out purpose. And even many believers that kind of generally know why they exist, but they don't know that what we do um, and how that connects to glorify God. And I think this psalm answers that. And since we're made in the image of God, it means that we're a, a reflection of what he is. And if we're a reflection of what he is, then there should be something that we are reflecting of him. A little background about this psalm. This is the only psalm that if you look at the heading of it, it says David's psalm of praise. It's titled praise. 
And surprisingly, in the book of 150 Psalms, this is the only psalm that's titled Praise. And um, it's the last psalm that's attributed to David in the, in the whole book of Psalms here. And it's the last of eight alphabetical psalms. There are some psalms that are called acrostics, and they take the Hebrew letters in order, and the first uh, word of each of those of each of the verses begins with that Hebrew letter. It's an acrostic. Five of those are from David, but this psalm here is one where where um, uh, there, there's there's just exuberant praise to God here, and when. Psalmist, the psalmist makes these acrostic psalms. He's not just doing this because it's some cute little trick that you do here. The reason he he uh, he, he he makes this psalm as an acrostic is because um, uh, uh, every every uh, verse of this is to state an aspiration of truth about God that God is to be praised by every sound that comes out of our mouth. Every formulation of our throat and our tongue and lips here is to reflect God and should not be deprived of his presence. That's why you have these acrostics here to show the, the, the A to Z of God, the fullness of God here. And this psalm here is like the gate of thanksgiving, because maybe if some of you are familiar with the psalms, you know, Psalm 146 or 150, they're starting to build this crescendo of praise that ends with the end in Psalm 150 of God's greatness and commanding all of creation from the tiniest molecule to the greatest living thing to explode in praise to God and a burst of praise from every creature, living creature in creation, in song, in dance, in instruments. And it just sets up this explosive echo that one day we're going to see its fulfillment around the throne of God in heaven as John in Revelation describes. And so let me let me read you the psalm quickly here, and then uh, this is going to be less of an exposition of the psalm and more of some devotional thoughts from um, the themes of this psalm. Psalm 145, I'll extol thee, my king, and I will bless thy name forever and ever. Every day will I bless thee, and I will praise thy name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise thy works to another, and shall declare thy mighty acts. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and of thy wondrous works. And men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts, or great acts. And I will declare thy greatness. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness, and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious, and full of compassion, slow to anger, and of great mercy." The Lord is good to all, and His tender mercies are over all His works. All thy works shall praise thee, O Lord, and thy saints shall bless thee. They shall speak of the glory of thy kingdom, and talk of thy power, to make known to the sons of men His mighty acts and the glorious majesty of His kingdom. Thy kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and thy dominion endureth throughout all generations." The Lord upholdeth all, upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them over, givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. The Lord is nigh to all them that call upon him, to all that call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of them that fear him, and he will also hear their cry and will save them. The Lord preserveth all them that love him, but the wicked will he destroy. 
My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. So if you want to kind of break down this passage here, you have in verses one through nine, you have the the faithful people of God. They praise the Lord from generation to generation for his mighty works and his loving care. They do it every day in verses one through three. And their praise is passed down from generation to generation to generation to verses 4 through 7. And the reason the Lord is to be praised in verse 8 and 9 is for his covenant faithfulness. And then you have the second movement in verses 10 through 13. That we praise the Lord not only for his mighty works and his loving care, but for his everlasting kingdom. Verses 10 through 13. Because all God's works, especially his saints, will praise the Lord in verse 10. And they tell, what do they praise him for? They tell of his power and glory and his everlasting kingdom in verses 11 through 13. Then you have the third and final movement of this psalm in verses 17 through 21. The faithful are praising the Lord and calling on everyone to bless his name because in his love he responds to his people to save and protect them. In verses 13 through 16, the Lord's faithful and loving to everybody, to all that he's made. And, uh, and then in verses 17 through 20, he responds to those who call on them. He satisfies the desires. He protects, watches over them. And the response is then at the end in verse 21, that all living things should join in praise of his holy name. What I want us to understand this morning is we can't fathom God's greatness until you think about God's goodness. You can't fathom God's greatness until you think about the king's goodness. The first thing I see in this psalm here is that it, this is the, that it is a faithful reflection of him uh, here uh, that, that overwhelms a generation. That this generation is so overcome by thinking about his greatness that they can do nothing else but tell the next generation about him and his majesty. You know what's awesome? We have at least four generations represented in our church. Possibly five. That's not a common thing in churches. And it's a wonderful thing. Four generations of observations and participation in God's faithfulness. Now that's something we might hear and might know and it's easy to pass over. But you would be surprised... How little this passing on and this sharing of what God has done from one generation to the other, how little this happens of generations having conversations with another generation about the greatness of God. And if you assume it's happening, it's probably not. There's an intentionality that needs to happen. And so when you've seen the greatness of God in Scripture and that you've experienced in your own life experience, You need to make sure that you're not just assuming that's getting passed on, but be very intentional about it. This psalm says that this kind of intergenerational thing happens. It happens when there is real, genuine praise bubbling up in the hearts of one generation to the next. It overflows. As one generation speaks of the glorious splendor of the majesty of God, To the next generation, they employ the language of kingly glory. They use God's language here of glory. 
And this unceasing praise of the Lord from this instruction from grateful hearts in verse 4, from, of the new generation uh, by the older generation. This process here transmits the history of God's work in this world. Not only from creation till now, but also in individual and personal lives as well. Salvation history from one generation to another by the telling of God's Notice the word there around verse 4 there of God's mighty acts of deliverance. Now, where does all this come from? What's the source of all this? All this comes from the source of a thankful heart. You can't manufacture this and, you know, oh, I guess I should be thankful. No, it, it, there, there's got to be some real thrust into, wow, meditating, thinking about God's goodness and His greatness in your own life. And sharing that with others. If there's not talk about the greatness and goodness of God from genuine hearts to other generations, it is because there is not a thankful heart that is overflowing. This bubbles up here. In fact, the word that's used here of abundantly muttering, uh, uttering the, the, the memory of your great goodness and sing of the generations, the word that's used of a spring just bubbling over here. And it tells me something that we need to hear each other's salvation stories. We really do. Um, deacons and I were, were, were talking in our deacon group meeting here a, 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 a couple weeks ago here about one of the things that helps bond us together is hearing where we came from. We all came from different places and different uh, circumstances in life, but we have this unity, this essential thing, this, this thing that God's brought us together, and it's Jesus Christ. And we need to hear how those stories have intersected with Jesus. We need to hear how uh, others recount of how God has worked in your life. In fact, this is God's plan for Israel all along. You remember in Deuteronomy 6? What the previous generation is to pass down to the next generation and how they were to do that. It wasn't a one day a week thing, was it? It wasn't an hour a week thing. It was to encompass everything about all their life here. In fact, in Deuteronomy 6, he tells them, this is the commandment, these are the statutes and judgments the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you observe, obey in the land which you're crossing over to possess that you fear the Lord your God to keep all statutes and His commands that I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore, hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you, a land flowing with milk and honey. You hear a little bit of reflection of that language from Genesis chapter 1 of being fruitful and multiplying, multiplying imaging of, the imaging of God. And he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, the Lord's one God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. And he says, These words that I command you today shall be in your heart. And you shall teach them to your children, and you'll talk to them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. In other words, there's no sphere of life that is to be untouched by the majesty and glory of God and His works in your life that you're not supposed to be talking about with your next generation. He says, I want you to stick this between the, your, your eyeballs. He said, I want, I want it to be the thing you see when you walk out your door. And on your gates. And when your son asks you uh, in time to come, what's the meaning of these testimonies, these statues, these, 
these commandments the Lord your God has commanded you, then you're going to say to your son, hey, here's the story. We were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And the Lord showed signs and wonders, amazing things before our eyes against Egypt and Pharaoh. And he brought us out from there and he brought us into this land to give us this land that he's promised to his fathers. This is our inheritance. The Lord commanded us to observe these things. And friends, that is the soil for transmitting truth from generation to generation. We need to know how God has lifted you out of those muddy pits. We need to hear how God has been faithful in your failures. We need to hear how He has been the provider in your deep needs. What are the stories your kids and grandkids are going to remember about you? Oh, there might be some funny stories, there might be some good memories, but is the thing they're going to remember most that that person knew the Lord and passed that on to us as well? What are the stories your kids and grandkids can tell right now? If I were to ask your kids or grandkids or great-grandkids right now how God has been at work in your life, in your family's life, would they be able to give me an answer? What are the stories that bring in hope to your family as you retell stories of deliverance? And where would you be except for the but God part in your life? Are the generations aware that you actually need help in your life, even today, as a sinner, and God gave you victory in Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit and help? Do they know you need God (laughs) and have stories you've told them that prove it? And what about your talks with the younger generation in the Word? Have you traced out with them God's rescue plan with Adam and Noah and Moses and the Israelites and the arrival of Jesus? And his life and, and, and his works in this life and the finished work on the cross and the empty grave and the ascension as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and his commission to the church and his promised soon return and call to be ready in obedience to him. This is all connected with God's command to humanity to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with his imagers. This is part of what it means to live out our status as being made in the image of God. As males and females, we draw the next generation into the greatness and goodness of God in His mighty hand. We enter His gates with thanksgiving. So what are you going to do about it? Maybe you need to have a supper where some of you men take the leadership and you invite your family over and share how God's worked in your life, in your family's life. You tell the stories of God's faithfulness. When we were in Michigan for our vacation at the end of June, um, where we were staying after a family reunion, um, we were uh, wondering, well, what are we going to do for Sunday? And we were looking around for for a church in the area, and um, uh, it seemed to either be uh, a church that was uh, um, big on having a big show, or a church that was big on majoring on the minors. And so we decided, we as, a, we as a family, we're going to have our own gathering together that, that Sunday morning on our vacation, and we're going to talk about the goodness of God. And so my mom took us on a tour here where my grandmother grew up. My grandmother's 100th birthday was at the end of June, and we had a family reunion to celebrate that. She passed away in 2013. And we were able to see 
the house where grandma grew up a hundred years ago. And the ways that God intersected in her life. And um, the ways that God brought my mom and my dad together. And then the things that have happened since then. And we read a psalm together. We sat in a little picnic pavilion like this by a lake. And recounted the great work of God and his mercy and kindness to us as a family that we didn't deserve. And it was a powerful thing. As we retraced the steps, this, retraced the steps of Grandma and saw the one-room schoolhouse and, 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 uh, and near Plainwell, Michigan. And, and uh, there, it, was, it was a powerful thing. Maybe on a church family level, you need to do the same thing. Invite people of a different generation over and share how great God is in His goodness by how you have seen Him work through His promises. Warren Wearsby said this, Every church is one generation short from extinction. When you read the book of Judges, it opens with chapter 1 and it says, this is what happened here after the, the great stories of victory in Joshua and then the generation that followed did not know God. Now what happened between here and here? Something wasn't passed on. And then that cycle of judges happens. Do you want to know the real reason young people walk away many times and want little to do with the faith? Because the faith they observe seems to be so distant from the Bible they've been told. There's little Deuteronomy 6 life. And it generates in their minds a perception of hypocrisy and hollowness that smells just as rotten in their noses as it does to God's. And they toss it away. Which leads to the next point in this psalm here. At the first point is, this has to bubble out of us. We've got to be immersed in God and His goodness to us so it bubbles out of us from one generation to the next. Next point is this, not only must, must we be about the greatness and goodness of God and His works we've seen and experienced, we have to also reflect that. We have to reflect that image. We have to image out these attributes of God that He shared with us that are seen in, the, in this psalm. You might see some of them there in verse 7. They shall abundantly utter, abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness and shall sing of thy righteousness. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion, slow to anger and of great mercy. <clears throat> He's good to all. His tender mercies are over all his works. His, the greatness of his kingdom and majesty and endurance of it in verses 10 through 13. And then notice in verses 14 and on. Lord upholds all that fall and raise above up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. They open us thine hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. He's righteous in all his ways. He hears the calls of those who, who need him here. These perfections here that are to be the object of how we educate and how we um, uh, raise up the next generation here, they're also to be seen in our own lives. This is to be reflected in our own lives, the way we live. Because the psalmist tells all people to share in this extension of God's kingdom here, certainly by privately and thinking about these things, but to see that then overflow into others here, and then to show the greatness of God's kingdom. And remember this, if God made us in his image to be kings and queens under him, by having dominion and shining out his nature to the world, then we have to see, then, how he shines out his attributes to creation, how he does so. 
So we can shine out with what he's put in us. And here you have some. Verse 7, you've got goodness. God's goodness. That's such a simple word. And we just kind of assume, assume it. Well, God is good. But you ever thought about that? The goodness of God. That everything he does is good. How he is so good. Just as there's much to tell of the Lord's greatness, there's plenty to share about his goodness as well. His righteousness. The fact that what he does it is, is in alignment with his character. It's not separate from it. He says something, he does it. He's good. He's pure. He's righteous. His graciousness. Giving you and I what we have no right to claim. Have no deserving aspect of. His compassion. When you exercise compassion, there's something that someone else doesn't have that you have. And you want to meet that need. That's God's compassion. His patience. God is so patient with His creation. He's so patient with it. Remember the disciples, they wanted to, uh, there were some, Samarit- some Samaritans who were giving them a hard time, and James and John said, We need to burn these people up. And Jesus is like, <laughs> If only you knew how patient I was with you, right? His mercy, His withholding back from us what we did deserve. Verse 14, look at how our God's character is described that we're to image out. He helps those who fall. Have you fallen? He helps those who fall. He helps those who have been weighed down with heavy loads. That's the kind of kingdom He is. He doesn't stand on the heads of His people and on their shoulders here and push them down. He goes under them and He lifts them up. That's our God. He's done that to you. He's elevated you and seated you in the heavenly places, Ephesians tells us. He's pure in what He does. He gives to needs. He's filled with kindness. He is close to those who call on Him truthfully and need help. He meets needs. He's protecting. He resists wickedness. This is God's kingdom. One author writes, Where is the cosmic excellence of this kingdom of God seen? Not in symbols of earthly pride and power, but in gracious condescension to the fallen and the crushed. In a gracious care which provides for the needs of every living thing. So this greatness isn't seen, is, isn't seen in, in, in God just elevating Himself, though He is worthy of that. This greatness is seen in His condescending in the humility of God to meet the needs of His creation. His magnificence and eternal reign and dominion is seen in His condescension. His coming low. His acts of restoration in verse 14. Restoring those who are dependent on Him, who are, who are bowed down to Him. His royal love and acts of provision. Satisfying the needs of living creatures. 
opening his hand as the as the as the as the father of a house would to those who need his provision. He satisfies them. That tells us a few things here about how to image God. One of the ways we image God is we help the inadequate. Because all of us are inadequate. That phrase, all who are falling, shows us that that help that God gives is timed right. It's perfectly timed. And it's joined with God's power to revive lost hope and abilities. And then secondly, just as your fathers here are great representatives of providers, God's a provider. God's a provider. He is generous. Our God is generous. And He provides joy in this world here. And there's a third thing. He answers for those who pray. There is a closeness. There's a listening voice. There is an imaging of God that happens when we listen. And then there is protection. Protection. He talks about the wicked and his protection for the righteous here. There is, this, there is a protection here. He watches over. And these are just some things to help us answer this question of what it is to be made in His image and to realign with Him in this creation and reflect His kingly attributes in action and obedience to our great King. And so we have to praise the Lord now and forever. The end of this psalm says, My mouth shall speak to praise the Lord and let all flesh bless His holy name forever and ever. It tells me something here. That this example here, Psalm 145, describing the greatness of God, His reign in all of creation here, His joy, tells us that as we engage together in the greatness and goodness of God and we faithfully walk in alignment with His character, we will speak of His ways to the next generation and fill the earth with His glory. Do you want that? What needs to change in your life? What will need to go? And what will need to come in? He is worthy. And we are to fill the earth with His glory. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we think of Your work and Your Word and how You have um, made all these, all these things possible by reconciling us to God, Your Father. Through Your life and death and burial and resurrection and ascension here, You as our representative was the perfect image of God. And You provided everything that's necessary for us now by putting Your Holy Spirit in us to live out the life of God that's been put inside of us. Help us to do that faithfully. And thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for each and every one that's here and the opportunity really to celebrate your goodness to us. Anytime we break bread together, we are reminded of what God has given us, the commonality we have in the gospel of your Son, 
And then the feasting on Jesus that is to happen in our lives so that we then multiply that to others. Lord, I pray that perhaps even during this picnic time,